the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. was a beginning a podcast where three nerdy friends talk about robert jordan's the wheel of time this is season one episode 13 progressive composting hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode we are so excited uh, to have you here with us. My name is Justin, and I am joined by my favorite co-host. Uh, Michelle is here with us. Say hi, Michelle. What's up, guys? And Stephen is with us as well. Stephen, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. Hope y'all are having a great night. Uh, indeed, we do hope that and hope that you're uh, excited for uh, getting close to the end of this book. Uh, we do have to uh, let you know, listeners, um, what we told you last week we would be talking about tonight. We've kind of uh, uh, gone back on that a little bit. We're going to, instead uh, instead of finishing the book, we're going to break down these last five chapters into two episodes. So tonight, in, or this week's episode, uh, we're just going to be looking at chapters 49 and 50. We think we got a lot of great content to um, give you a, a Good episode this week, but uh, we wanted to also make sure we were able to uh, give you good quality on these chapters without, uh, you know, being here for several hours. We want to keep this. Uh, nah, to, uh, that's not true. To... We just we just didn't want to let it go. So <laughs> <laughs> we're no, like no. guys, we're like guys. How can we split this up more so we can keep on going? So <laughs> we, decided, we decided to divide it even more. Uh, we, we've got plenty more books to keep going, but we do want to make sure we give good quality as we discuss this content. So I think it'll work better true. as we as we break these apart. So again, chapters 49 and 50 for this episode. Next week will be the last three chapters of the book. But for now, if you haven't read uh, those two chapters, uh, go ahead and do that. Um, well, hit the pause button first, then go ahead and read those. And when you... Uh, Come back, we'll be here ready, waiting for you, ready to discuss uh, these chapters. So, Steve and Michelle, how are we doing this week? Hey, doing, doing pretty well. I'm over here rethinking life choices as I'm going through a move. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like you go through, do you guys ever go through that stage during your, when you're packing, where you're like, I should just throw everything away. Everything should just go in the garbage. <laughs> I, I I go through I, I go through that sometimes even you know I've I've lived in the same place for almost nine years now and I still go through that I'm not even looking at uh, you know packing anything anytime soon. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't imagine yeah, you packing my, up nine years worth of things. Oh yeah, if we ever did have to move, there's probably a lot of stuff getting thrown out. Me and my wife typically go through and have like a purge once a year where we go through and like everything that we haven't used in such an amount of time goes to the donate pile doesn't it still hurt though it still hurts do you, do you grab it and, and ask does this bring me joy yes, <laughs> yes. no <laughs> <Can't ask that. laughs> i've 
seen that on hoarders where you just yeah. have, like how do you feel but you can't ask does it bring me joy because everything everything in the house brings me joy right there's there's a reason that i have it right yeah <laughs> i'm so just I sitting here i'm i'm looking around my office at all the stuff i have in here which is mostly books but i, I could probably know that. Stand books to, don't go no i could probably there are probably a few books that i could uh i could uh donate or pass on mm-hmm. books don't go no you know the the one thing i have don't, a hard time letting go don't of get rid of books t-shirts. trust me it's the biggest thing you regret <laughs> no books last forever the one thing i have a hard time getting rid of are old t-shirts so i talked to a friend and yes. she's gonna help me she's gonna help me make a quilt <laughs> like, i did that <laughs> you did it i i did that i actually have two quilts um with a whole bunch of t-shirts that i had from college yes that i gave to i gave to a lady from church and she cut them up and made them into a quilt, and they are awesome. I I I love them so much, and because I, I get to, I get to hold on to those memories. Yes. But at the same time, you know, I also have space in my closet, and they're they're being used in a better in a different way. So, but this yeah. isn't. Um, this isn't. This, this isn't a uh, organizing isn't, slash how to purge podcast. I'm about to say this isn't Wheel of Time Quilting Club. This is the wind was a beginning, <laughs> and we do want to talk about. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with quilting clubs. If that's your thing, hey, have may, maybe you're quilting while you're listening to us. Uh, maybe we will write start to a Wheel us, of Time Quilting Club. <laughs> write to us and let us know if if that's what you're doing. That would be kind of cool. Um, <laughs> I mean, as the wheel weaves. That's As right. Real weaves. Uh, I like or that. or stitches or um, sews or or whatever the case may be. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> shall we um, shall we get into tonight's discussion? Yes, let's do it. Yes, let's. All right, we are beginning with chapter forty nine. The dark one stirs. As the journey continues, the real blight emerges. Much worse than the sickly trees and landscape of the day before. Here, the very trees can attack. And they do, along with other horrors of the blight. A cry in the distance frightens even these creatures away. But these new creatures, called worms, will only chase so far, fearing what resides in the high passes of the mountains of doom. But suddenly... The blight is gone. A lush garden emerges, and the green man welcomes them all. So I think we said it last week. We were talking about some of the dangers of the blight, and we we commented that we were barely in the blight, that it would get much worse. And guess what? It got much worse. (laughs) I feel like they barely even, it's like we were barely in the blight, and I feel like they barely went even further, and everything just came crashing down. Well, yeah, it wasn't right? even it wasn't even a, a full day's trek no. from you know they 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 started the previous morning in Faldara, traveled into the blight, made it as far as where they camped, where they could see the seven towers and the the lakes, and then what we read in chapter forty nine is pretty much the next day. Yeah, right, really. Actually, what we read in the next few chapters is the next day, because it all kind of takes place, you know, right there together. It's like so. barely the next day. Uh, I need to ask about some of these creatures. What is a worm? Because, <laughs> okay, so for me, I'm terrified of worms anyway, but I'm like, this is not the same kind of worm. Well, here's the thing. We don't really get a description, do we? No. All we know is that they are 
extremely dangerous. I mean, he, uh, Lan tells them that that one worm could kill a fade. Oh god! And we've got several of them on our tail. <laughs> it's like I didn't even know if it was a physical creature. It just seemed like a force. Hmm. Well, tell, tell us, tell us what you think, Stephen. The guru is trying to figure out how to say it without <laughs> without saying too much. I'm trying to to figure out what I can say. They're just they're scary. I mean, they all of these other creatures, which we did get a description of, like the trees. I like how I like how they were talking about the trees, how they move. And, but I guess Moran is the reason why they weren't doing too much. And then Rand's like, hold on, let me go look at this tree. And then the tree started, <laughs> and then the tree started like freaking out. Oh, I, I couldn't do it. And I like how at one point they got so terrified and Rand was like, I can't run forward. I can't run back. It's like, you just have to keep going, I guess. It's like, you can't just go run back home or anything. It's just, all you can do is keep going forward. And who wants to go towards the mountain of doom? <laughs> <laughs> like, who, well, that was that was their destination. Uh, they were going to go through those high passes. But uh, Stephen, you got anything for us yet? <laughs> or or so, I, mean, look, I mean, I mean, we can really we can hold off though. We, can we don't. Hold off we don't. The worm. We don't really need a description to know that these things are are, are frightening and dangerous. So I, I think I can share a description without it really being spoilers. Um, because okay. the majority of the descriptions that we're ever going to get from worms don't come from the books themselves. Oh, so it's oh. just it's just extra material. Okay. Yeah. So, um, worms are shadow spawn, but they are not. They are not uh, like a, I guess you would almost say they're not a domesticated version of shadow spawn like Trollocs. Like, they are creatures that were created <laughs> by the dark. Yeah, he said Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did we just say <laughs> that Trollocs were domesticated? Compared that's how to you, worms, yes. That's how, that's, how bad, that's how bad the blight is. Because at at now, now we're saying that Trollocs were domesticated. Yeah. So, Trollocs can be controlled, funneled to a purpose. Worms are just creatures of pure instinct and hunger. Um... So think of these horrible, like, literal, like, um, I don't know if y'all have seen the movie Tremors yeah, or yeah. Uh, Dune. Uh, so I haven't seen basically Dune, but I have these, seen Tremors. Okay, so the Graboids. Yeah. <laughs> Except these guys are above ground, covered in legs and spikes, and just, it's they're nightmare fuel. And, uh... They just, they're, think of like gigantic, evil, twisted centipedes Ew, ready gosh. to destroy and devour anything that, that comes near them. Okay, oh, no. I'm done. I can't. <clears throat> I'm done. <laughs> and they I'm, hunt I'm in done. packs. I, 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 I'm done. I'm done when you mention centipedes. Nope. Exactly. I'm, I'm sitting here <laughs> getting, you know. Literally itchy. Uh, can we talk about, can we talk about how, uh. How, as everything was falling apart, suddenly Monethrin came out. How everyone's everyone's inner Monethrin, uh Matt is over here, just like I, I don't even know. <laughs> He's speaking completely different language. I would be, I guess, I would be surprised if that was the first time that it had happened. It's so interesting, though. It's like their instinct. It's the blood. It's their instinct, For Matt and, I, and I'm telling you. 
I'm telling you, he he's like reborn from something. Matt is not just Matt. I'm waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about how how good good timing Matt has with that arrow too? By the way. Yes. Right. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> right, right to the eye of this yeah. horrible creature. No hesitation either. Not even any. He just he just pulled it out. He knew how to use that uh that that bow and arrow. Yeah. So one point real quick I wanted to make as we're talking about like this scene where basically the blight just comes alive and attacks them. So that to me really points to what the nature of the blight is. Yeah. It is a land that the very taint of the Dark One, very similar to what happened to the Ways, but in a much more fast and direct wet method. So the taint of the Dark One is present living and breathing in these trees, these animals. So what you're seeing for the most part with these brush creatures, with these trees that are attacking and things like that, it's literally normal creatures, normal plants that have just been twisted and deformed and uh, corrupted by the presence of the Dark One. And it's been going on for thousands of years? Uh, yeah, so it's been going on since... Now, the the Blight may actually have been around... The Blight has been around since the Age of Legends, but it has grown more and more with the passing centuries. Uh, so it, it's been around over 3,000 years. And it seems like it's grown even like quite recently, too. Yeah, within the last uh, 50 years, it, it swallowed up Malkier. And like, so where they're at right now would have been within the borders of Malkir. So this, what they're in right now has only been the blight for about 40 to 50 years. Oh, so crazy. So you, you, I guess maybe you could just imagine what other parts of the blight could be like. Yeah. If this is, if this is, for lack of a better word, new blight. Yeah. What is, what, what is, what is old blight like? So maybe it's better if we don't know. (laughs) <laughs> it only gets worse the closer you get to Shalgul. And I think at this point, he picked up... I think Rand at one point picked up a rock to try to throw at something, and it just disintegrated midair. To throw... No, no, not... I'm not talking about Eye of the World or anything. Like, at one point, he tried to attack... I don't know if it was a tree or what, but it just kind of, like, disintegrated, just turned to dust. I don't re- recall that. I remember... I, I remember when um, Land disappeared... Oh no! Was it in when in the, was it in this chapter or was it last chapter? No, that he disappeared Lance, to, Lance disappeared. Like I feel like once every quarter of a chapter, he just yeah, he, he just goes well, somewhere he, and then he comes back. He disappeared he, to. He disappears a couple times in this yeah. chapter. Yeah. Uh, right once is right before everything comes alive, and then he also while stuff is attacking them is like disappearing and reappearing and getting hurt and being healed and. <laughs> Like, continually taking wounds that would knock down a normal man, and he just comes to Moraine. She magic band-aids him, and he goes right back at it. <laughs> I mean, m- multiple times. And it's all fruitless, in all honesty. And and, and if they had not, because at this point, it's like everything's getting dire, and then boom, everything turns green. Like, well, it's just well, lush. But before, let's, before we move into that, what I was thinking about with Lan was when he disappears and apparently slays some creature and when he comes back where the blood is on his sword is kind of steaming or smoking 
Yeah. And when he wipes it off, the cloth that he uses to wipe it off before it even hits the ground, it's basically disintegrated from yeah, whatever what, probably whatever what was thinking about. Yeah, from whatever exactly the corruption what is. So yeah, maybe that's what it was. But uh, these things are. It was a lot of chaos, guys. I got lost in it, so some stories got meshed. It I do was, like that everything you know, got dire, you know. It, especially, especially when the the forest or the the blight and all these creatures, the trees and everything attack. Not to mention fighting each other at the same time. It seems like. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. complete chaos. And then, uh, as you said, Michelle, then everything just. I mean, it's like night and day. You know, we go from all of that to something, well, something nice. I, and I have something, uh, something I wanted to bring up there that I was thinking about as we read these chapters. Um, sure. So, as they're going and uh, they're trying to outrun the worms, they don't think they're going to, but they're trying. They're trying to make it into the high passes. Uh, basically, everybody's scared out of their minds, and we have this inner monologue with Rand. Um, where he's basically trying to work himself up to keep going, but r- right there at the end, he breaks. Like, he is getting ready to grab the reins and turn and run. And that, right there, that second, that is when the green man appears. They, Moraine has been going over and over and over how the key to finding the green man is need. Oh. And I think... The fact that the boys, Egwene, they were all in such need, especially need Rand here. If this green man hadn't stepped in, Rand was about to run to the worms. That need, I think, is what finally brings the green man to them before they ever get to the high, pa- high passage. Oh, I had not, I forgot that. Can I ask you a question, Stephen? Sure. Because because the way the way you introduced that little statement, is that the, this the first time you've thought of that? Um, I'm genuinely curious. It's the first time that it's really fleshed out completely. Okay, in my mind. I I, I love that. Yeah. yeah. As many times yeah. as many times as you've read these books, there are still things that are uh, standing out to you. That That's maybe, the beauty of yeah. it. Maybe didn't stand out as much uh, on a previous read. So I, I just I, that's yeah. the reason I asked because that's what it sounded like. And I wanted to bring yeah, that it, out. It definitely was. I was reading it over again today before that we went to record. And that was something that stuck out to me right then. I actually paused because I was listening to the audio version. I actually paused, rewound, and then listened to it again. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so I am I'm finding that happening more and more because I am slowing down and you know, I'm on another reread again, but I'm doing it chapter by chapter now and like yeah listening to each set of chapters a couple times in one week. Pay, paying more careful attention. Catching yeah, a little bit. So. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it makes me want to go back in all honesty. Like, oh, wow. Because it was really good timing. Yeah. I'm. Then, you know, yeah. this just kind of a, a side note, and I don't know, we might edit this out, but I was, you know, that's one of the things, like, as we're going, I've been... Um, downloading the audiobooks and I'm kind of glad that I have because yeah. now it'd be something I you know I can go back and listen to it in the future like when I'm working in the yard or something like that it'll be something I can listen to or you know so I'm, I'm excited about that plus shout out to uh 
<laughs> Shout out to the narrators, Kate Redding and Michael Kramer. They do yeah. an epic job. <laughs> those are those are really good. So, and, and th- this is not a, a plug for you know any particular audiobook service for, that... for Audible. Hey, <laughs> I wasn't going to say the Audible name. Wants to sponsor us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be okay with that. Um, um, <laughs> but it is a great way to uh, to access these books. So. But anyway, let's let's move on and uh, talk about the Green Man and his. So odd. I w- would would we call it a garden. It's, it's like the, it's like an it's I call I'd call it an oasis. Oasis. I actually considering it's in the middle of the blight. I, I like yes. oasis a little bit better. Yeah, because it just it feels like you just entered into this. Um, Gosh, it just reminds me of Skyrim, in all honesty. It's just like fresh air, blue skies, butterflies everywhere. Um, like, where did I you guess, come from? Lush grass. I guess for me, I've always thought of it as a garden because a garden is something that is tended and cultivated, whereas an oasis or a clearing or something like that can happen by itself in nature. This is something that is a direct effect of the green man's actions to you'll see him, you know, he finds a plant that is withering and dying and he helps it along. You know, it's him working to, he cultivates this area. That's why to me, it's always stood out as a garden, but you know, we can use whatever term we want. That's just why I've always used that one. Well, and it does have maybe a bit of a, maybe a garden of Eden type feel to it. I mean, it, it it feels almost like a paradise. Yeah, I was gonna say a paradise. It feels like paradise to me, and it feels quiet, especially in the middle of all of this disgusting decay and horrible stuff that is the blight. It, it it's even more of a paradise. Yeah, it's interesting because you know we have allusions to the fact that like finding the green man is a quest that like young men in the blight take to try and gain honor. Like, to find the green man, you know, and Matt makes an allusion here just a little further into the chapter. He wants to see the Tree of Life, because apparently there's a legend in this world that the Tree of Life is apparently in the garden of the green man. I don't uh, blame him either. The green man, of course, tells them that it isn't, but, uh, but it's interesting that we have that kind of legend and myth in this world, that the, green, like the Tree of Life and the green man and this paradise place are kind of a thing from legends of these their own this this own world's little myth. Uh, I don't, that we I don't see blame him coming either alive. for for try because mostly I used I used to like you know roll my eyes at Matt for trying to find an adventure, but the Green Man is such a huge like uh, myth. I not myth, you know, what I'm talking about like some kind of like fantasy or something. It's like I'm gonna take advantage well, of this. Like, let me see what I can see here. Well, to the Emmons Field folks. Up until this moment, it seemed maybe the Green Man was still a bit of a myth. Because if you remember all the way back, I think it was in chapter six. I wrote it down somewhere, but now I don't remember. Um, yeah, back in chapter six, when Rand is kind of processing that Trollocs are real. And he yeah. kind of goes through this thing in his set head. Well, 
uh, who knows, next I might be meeting an Ogier giant or, uh, you know, a, 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 an Aielman or, or the Green Man, which he's, he's met an Ogier who is traveling with us, and now he's meeting the Green Man. So and, he, and he might possibly myth, have met an Aielman. Myth becomes reality, reality for all of them. Isn't that the beginning of one chapter? That's the beginning of one chapter, though, or is it the prologue where it says myth becomes reality or something? And then I, 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 it was ta- it was talking about the turning of the wheel, where it's like where it's like um, reality becomes myth, becomes fantasy, becomes something. Yeah, that's just me bringing it's, it back. I'm I'm, I'm at, putting the wheel back in there. It's at the beginning of chapter one. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. I think it plays into as. As well, it plays into something that Robert Jordan talked about, too, in that he saw, like, legends and myths a lot of times as this game of, like, telephone over time, you know, where one person says a thing and then it gets passed and another person adds to it. And, you know, by the time it gets around to the other person, it's something completely different. I think you have a little bit of that on a lesser scale here. In the Borderlands, the Green Man is a real person. To the Ogier, he's a real person. But the further away you get from this present, like, in my opinion, the Borderlanders are the closest, they live in what is the truest form of the world. Like, they see the Dark One's presence on a day-to-day basis. They see reality for what it is. The farther away from that area you get, the further south you go, the less and less this becomes reality, and the more and more things like that become myth. And that, that makes sense, too. I mean, because Trollocs, these, these are just reality of living on the borderlands. Whereas you go to Eamon's Field and it's like, hmm. Yeah, they're, they're boogeymen. Yeah, they're, they're stories used to scare children. Make them behave. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky them for that to just be a story. For sure. All right, so let's talk about the green man. Like, what is he exactly? Uh, can, can, can I read the description? I love the way he's described. <laughs> Steven, is that all right? Yeah, go right ahead. All right, so I've got it. I've got it written down. So, a figure stepped out of the foliage. A man, a man shape as much bigger than Loyal as the Ogier was bigger than Ran. A man shape of woven vines and leaves, green and growing. His hair was grass, flowing to his shoulders. His eyes, huge hazelnuts. His fingernails, acorns. Green leaves made his tunic and trousers. Seamless bark his boots, butterflies swirled around him, lighting on his fingers, his shoulders, his face. Only one thing spoiled the verdant perfection. A deep fissure ran up his cheek and temple across the top of his head, and the vines were brown and withered. He just sounded like, um, in my mind when I picture him, he just sounds like a hippie version of like Groot from uh guardians of the galaxy you know when your mind's trying to make sense of like a description it's like okay so this is like Groot with long hair and butterflies i think i was probably thinking more of the ents from the lord of the rings films i know they're more tree-like and he's he's really much more of a man shape just yeah he's you know covered in all of these growing things but I, i guess that's the picture that i got more of I would love to know what happened to, um, you know, his face and up onto his head that there's this uh, essentially dead spot 
um, in the midst of all the green. That's something we're not told here. I don't know if we'll ever get told, but it is an interesting uh, question. It it adds depth to the character because there's a question there. There's there's a curiosity that you want to know more about what happened with this this person. A part of me is wondering if it's like the, the strain of trying to keep up because you said that it's like Stephen said he goes through and touches things and and brings them back to life. Is it the strain of trying to keep up with the with the intensity of the blight? Um, but I guess we have to. We can't know. I guess until we ask him. It feels like it feels like a wound to me, of some sort. That's the way. That's the way it read to me. But I don't know. I'm not sure either. Steven's awfully quiet. He's trying to figure out how to not spoil it, and I'm trying to figure out how to get him too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to get him too. I want to talk about Rand. <laughs> the green man looks at Rand, and he's and it's like I feel like. Uh, do you think it's because of the? I don't know if it's the sore or the the wound on his head, but he seems really kind of like fuzzy, like he's confused. But it looks like he can tell like the depth of what a person is, and he looks at Rand, and I th- I feel like he's kind of referring to Rand because uh, he says like people of the dragon, right? I think he's he's basically saying that Rand is Luce Theron's child. That's that's the way I interpreted it. I feel like he was referring to to like Rand's like father or Rand's like actual like heritage, but wasn't. The entirety of Luce Theron's family slaughtered. Yes, so so we think yeah. by his own hand, and, and that, that's that's why they call him the Kinslayer because he killed his entire family. Oh, I mean, is that confirmed? Do we know that he killed his entire family? Maybe one person got away. And the thing is, didn't he no. kind of like? Didn't he kind of like at the end when he finally had the realization of what he'd done? He kind of like didn't he put the like all of the power in him and kind of like go back in time or go to another area, right? Mm. It's like it's like he. I, I That's don't know. your theory. Or, That's or your it... theory. You think he time traveled? I said that Not he basically even time took traveled. so much of the. It's like it's like he ended that time period. Well, he he ended that time period because that's like the turning of one age into the next. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with him. That's just something that happened. People decided to mark that point in history as the beginning of the next age because that was a momentous event. Uh, but, but what he did was basically he drew so much of the power into himself that he killed himself. But in so doing, it created a volcano in his spot. But but Osamon said though that it's like you can keep on starting these new ages, and he's saying that he's he was telling I think Rand he was like you guys think you're starting a new age. But at the end of the day, it's the same thing happening repeatedly. Like, it happens over and over and over again. Yeah, Bialzaman there is just trying to impress upon him futility. Like, he wants Rand to give in and to wear down. Because he wants Rand to obey him. You know what, Stephen? You're kind of like Bialzaman right now. Because you tried to say the same thing. <laughs> you tried to say... Didn't he try to do the same thing with Tom? Or you tried to, like, make us think that Tom was dead? You're just you're just being like you just you just want this to be wrong so bad. And actually, the fact that you're going the fact that you're going all out to try to tell me that this is not true makes me think that I'm even like this is true. Because I'm never gonna forget. You're really going out of your way right now, <laughs> which is very unlike you. Because remember, like Justin, please back me up here. He was even concerned about describing the worm, but now suddenly he's over here telling us about the age and <laughs> like you well, do because... all this power. Because because a lot of that is stuff that can be inferred, I think, from from what we know so far of of the way that this world works. And I'm I'm 
I'm actually, you know, standing with Steven on this that all oh, of wow. all of all of Luce Theron's wow. family were killed and that's when that age yeah, that- ended. You know what? Justin, Started a new age. There's actually a reference, real quick, Michelle. Yeah. There's actually a reference, and I'd have to look it up to find it. It's somewhere in the first couple of chapters. It may be in the prologue itself. But it's actually made reference to the fact that he's called the Kinslayer because every person who held a drop of his blood, every single one of them, he killed. So by the time you meet him at the end of the prologue, he has literally killed every person living that has a drop of his blood in him, in them. Plus his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so two things. One, I need to reread the book. Two, Justin, pick a side. Uh, no, no, that, I, say, I, no. I picked, I picked my side. <laughs> wow. I'm not going to have this on the podcast right now. Listeners, we're going to take this offline. <laughs> we can go ahead and move forward. But I still, I still believe that Rand is... If he's not Luce Theron's child, then he's Luce Theron reborn. Because he's going to keep coming back. Like, he's going to keep reliving everything. So you made mention to the fact that the green man seems to know about people. And I think uh, we skipped over... I think we skipped over one that happens before he even gets to Rand. Is that he knows exactly what Perrin is. That is so interesting. He just, like, looks at him. Yeah, he, he makes mention to how old things truly have come again. So it's it's very interesting. He seems to have... The way I look at it, it, it's, it seems to be in the very nature of the green man to understand the nature of things. Like biological um, things, like it seems the, like. Yeah, in that how he is able to like grow and cultivate, it seems that he seems to have some type of a knowledge of uh, how things like, are at their at their nature. Um, like, he's able to recognize what Perrin is, even though it's probably, you know, in theory, it's something that is was lost and forgotten before the Age of Legends. You know, we don't know how old necessarily the Green Man is, but the Wolf Brother thing is something that is ancient. So for him to even understand what it is is very interesting, because the Aes Sedai don't. So... I found that really interesting there, that little tidbit. I found it also interesting he said nothing about Matt. No. No, he didn't. There's nothing, there's nothing to he, say. He didn't, he didn't mention he anything didn't. about the girls either. No, That's I was, was going to make that point too. And uh, I like I like that he calls Loyal little brother. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Oh, that reminds me. Um, what exactly is the longing? Because everyone keeps on mentioning oh. it, the longing. Okay, I think they, they kind of hinted at it, but I can explain that real quick. That's not yeah. hard. So, uh, during the breaking of the world, the Ogier were also without the steadings. Uh, yeah. Because the, the ground, everything changed, the world was shaken up, and they couldn't find the steadings because they had been out in the world. Uh, and so, the longing is, the steadings are where the Ogier are supposed to be. It is their home, and... What the Ogier found in the wandering after the breaking was that as they were away from the steading longer and longer, they developed this longing for the steading. And it's almost like a mental sickness that inf- afflicts Ogier if they're away from the steading for too long. Oh, uh, they okay. become they become they become highly depressed. Um, 
melancholy, like very like sick. They'll just, you know, wither, not like wither away physically, but just wither as they're away from it. They, they need that. Now it takes long periods of time. They make mention to, uh, loyal, you know, one of the people in, I think, Faldara talks about, uh, how hopefully he is not afflicted by the longing and, Loyal says, no, it has not been nearly long enough for that. He's only been out of the steading about four or five years. So it's not something that happens fast, but it, over the time, the breaking period of time is roughly 500 years or so. Um, and so it's this mass wandering that developed. It was not a thing they knew of beforehand because it was never they were never away from the steading that long. But after the breaking, now it is something they contend with and a reason that a lot of the Ogier no longer leave the steading. Or if they do, it's for short periods of time. Okay. Because they don't want to encounter the longing. Do they have to return to their own steading or just a steading? Just a steading. Okay. Oh, wow. I did not realize there were multiple steadings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we've had... Yeah, and they're, uh, they're not... We've had, I was going to say, we had two mentioned in, in this book. There was the one where... Elias and Perrin and Egwene tried to take shelter that night when they were um, uh, encountered by the White Cloaks. And then, so that is one of the steadings that was lost to the Ogier. But but Loyal okay. has mentioned his steading, steading Shangtai, uh, a few times. Right. And there may be others that have yeah. been mentioned, but I, I distinctly remember those two. Those are the only one. The only one that was mentioned by name. It is mentioned that there are other steadings. Uh, when they're in the ways, he mentions that if they went two turns this way, they could be at another steading. And like there are multiple steadings, not as many as there once were, and several of them are still lost. Because here's the thing: with the breaking, it's not like somebody just you know jumbled up the land. We're talking about. Where once there was mountains, now there's oceans. Where once there was rivers, now there's desert. Like, the entire face of the planet was shape changed. So, like, some of the steadings were now probably, you know, eight miles deep in the ocean. You know, it's... The whole world was set askew during the breaking. Oh, that's so interesting. It's, it's, it's It's like if the Earth, like tilted on its axis. I remember there, like if the earth like tilted or something, it's like, okay, now all of this, the Sahara becomes like a forest and you know, yeah. the, the Amazon forest becomes a desert. Okay. That makes, wow. Oh yeah. man. You can really tell that Robert Jordan was so into like cosmology and astrophysics. Like really, this is so, it's so cool. Yeah. Um, but let's go on. Let's go on to the next chapter. I really need to see what happens next. Let's go. All right. We are, in chapter 50, Meetings at the Eye, finally we've come to our goal. The eye of the world, a pool of pure essence of the male half of the one power. But as the group exits the chamber, two cloaked figures emerge from the trees. These two ancient men, Agenor and Bothamel, confirm that some of the forsaken are no longer bound but are able to walk in the world again. And as the battle ensues, Lan and Nynaeve both fall. The green man is able to defeat Bothamel, though at the cost of his own life. But Agenor is another matter entirely, seemingly untouched by Moraine's use of the power against him. 
Still, as she tells the others to run, the Aes Sedai stands to face the Forsaken alone. So this chapter, it got real, real fast. Um, so yeah, we move into this next chapter and we kind of see what all the fuss has been about. They are enjoying the garden and everything, but then Moraine sets her little bouquet aside and it's everybody's back to business. We uh, need to go see what we're here for. And uh, what a thing to see. You can say that again. What a thing to see. <laughs> I mean, I knew you, somebody you was walk do that. through this archway and into this, this cave, and it's just, I mean, Michelle, what was your first reaction when you see the eye? Uh, so I was thinking, it's, it's so Skyrim. So I'm, I'm thinking about, like, we have this dark cave, and then in the middle, it's like this really still but gorgeous, like, lake, but it's really still and blue, you know, and we're all looking down into it. And I kind of had the same question as Rand. It's like, um, no, this this must just be a lake. Like, what are they talking about? But it's really beautiful in my mind. Just really still and and just blue with a little bit of like. I wish I could draw it. I feel like I could paint it if I wanted to. Um, but it just seemed it just seemed beautiful to me. Well, I think your 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 mental picture is off just a little bit from what's actually described. So let me clarify that real quick okay so they do walk into a darkened cavern but when they enter the chamber down the hall that contains the eye it's actually lit um by these oh. glowing crystals on the ceiling um that rand makes mention of it looks like they're they're duller and dimmer than they maybe once were some are still bright others flicker and some have gone out altogether uh, whereas one day, once it may have been like broad daylight inside the chamber, now it's more of a deep afternoon. So it's these crystals hanging and they're lighting this pool and the pool is crystal clear. Uh, it is clear as glass. You know, it says the surface was as smooth as glass and clear as the winter, the wine spring water. So this crystal clear liquid uh, that penetrates uh, so far at Rand's eyes felt like he could not penetrate it. He could penetrate it forever, but he could never see the bottom of it. It makes you want to jump in, doesn't it? Uh, not after what know. happens not, to that rock. No, not, no. <laughs> not when we, not when we find out, you know, what exactly it is. You know, they even, yeah. What exactly is it, Justin? Do you want to share well, I can, um, I can, I can, I can tell you what Moraine said. <laughs> <laughs> what okay. did she say? Um, I, I believe I, I don't remember. It may have been Matt that asked her what it is. I can't is remember Matt, exactly yes. who, but she responds. She says it might be called the essence of Sidene. The Isidai's words echoed round the dome. The essence of the male half of the true source the pure essence of the power wielded by men before the time of madness, the power to mend the seal on the dark one's prison or to break it open completely. Mm -hmm. So it is um, the power in some kind of physical form. One power concentrate. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. 
what what we have here is all right. So the true source, the one power, it is when you put the two halves together, the male and the female half, to create the whole. It's called the true source. The true source is literally the 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 light, the power of the creator. It is the force that literally created everything that exists and continues to power the wheel and creation. So what you have here at the eye of the world is a pure distilled half of the power that created the universe <laughs> in in physical form. Uh, it is these Aes Sedai that worked together, the men and women, right as the men were becoming tainted, they strove together working with both sides of the power to purify it. So to rid this section of Sidene from the Dark One's taint. Uh, for what purpose, we're not told. But they all sacrifice their lives in the process. But we have pure, untainted Sidene. The only source of that that currently exists in the entire uh, universe sitting right here. You know what I was wondering is like what would happen if one of the boys like if because I understand like we saw what happened when they dropped the rock in but what would happen though if one of the boys kind of touched the power like touch like touched it because because I'm because I'm like are, are you supposed to touch it or are you supposed to draw from it because it's there for a reason like can, like what can we do with this so I'm wondering it's like it's like it's right there I'm like are we, can can we like pull from it or or what. So, it is a pure yeah. source of power, and I think what we can draw would happen, and we can draw some analogy from what happens to the rock. So, at first, when the rock falls in, it swells and grows, but then as it sinks deeper, it dissolves and basically breaks down on the atomic level until it is basically one with the power at that point. So I think uh, anything that would come into contact with this is basically atomized. Uh, basically, that literally, this is the power of creation. It is what all life comes from and what all life returns to at some point. <laughs> it is, uh, and this is not a thing that is ever really meant to be distilled in this form. This is not a natural occurrence. I just don't see the point. Well, I, I do believe we get maybe a little bit more detail in the next chapter or the chapter after that. Because the thing um, is, I just feel like it's such a vulnerable thing to do to just to just to put it there in that in that form. Like any, well, I, I mean, I guess when we move forward, I, I think we can see that not everyone can walk in there, or maybe not everyone can find it. But it just seems like it's really risky to put all of that pure essence into like a physical form inside one cavern. And that's just my opinion on it. It, it is definitely a risk, sure. But is it a needed risk is the question. Because well, uh, you can't... You, Moraine hint... Sorry, Justin, if you want to go ahead. I was going to say, as you mentioned, this is the only... Yeah. Uh, the only place in the universe where Sidene is not tainted. So, in a sense, I think, yes, it is a needed risk, If even if just to have the chance 
that there might be some essence of Sidane somewhere that is not uh, affected by the Dark Ones tanked. I guess I just need to read because... further because I'm trying to figure out, like, so, you know, it's there, so how can we use it? And it's not, we don't know necessarily what it was needed for. All we know is that the Aes Sedai who created it knew for a fact that it would be needed. Um, that's all they knew. All we know, and for all we know, one of the Aes Sedai just had a foretelling, just like Elida had in the Court and Cain one, and just knew some for some reason this was going to be something that, the, that was needed for the future. And so, okay. but they... They knew it for a fact, and so they were willing to sacrifice their lives to make it happen. And, so we don't and know anything more than that. It seems that um, we 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 know what Moraine wants to use it for. I, I, I think anyway. I think she hints at it, talking about it being the power to mend the seal on the Dark One's prison. Yeah, I think that's right. A goal that she has. Uh, so. You know, that apparently is something it could be used for, and that may be, have been the intent when it was created. However, uh, she also mentions it has the power, the power to break the Dark One's prison open completely, which may explain why we have some unexpected guests can you see the way she? There was a time point um there where Moraine even like looked at uh Rand, Matt, and Perrin when she was kind of I guess she was I think she was talking about how it can be used to seal the Dark One's chamber or break it open, and she like looks intently at them. What do you guys think that was about? It, it's like she paused and she like looked at them, like stared them down, and I was wondering what that was about. Like what? It's like she, was she trying to see? A part of me was wondering if she was trying to see what their intentions were. Yeah, so what you're referencing is the section here. It says, uh, when everyone is asking why, why would they do this? And Loyal is like, I've read about this, but I don't understand why it would be made. And Moraine says, no one living knows. And then she was no longer looking at the pool. She was watching Rand and his two friends, studying them, her eyes weighing. Neither the how nor the why then it would one day be needed, and the need would be the greatest and most desperate the world had faced to that time, perhaps ever would face. On the very next page, um, you know, she, she gives a little bit more description, and on the very next page, Rand asks her, why did you bring us here? And she flat out says, because you're Taviran. Yep. And uh, honestly, knowing what we know about Tavir, and I think that's as good a reason as any, these are individuals, you know, who by themselves would shape the world around them. Here are three of them from the same age, from the same village, who are going to be shaping the world around them. The need is obviously very dire, and maybe, maybe it's a case of Moraine is thinking... Maybe this is what they're here for. Our last chance. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we have to do something. The way I'd interpret it, though, was like she was looking at them to see if some of their past would come out. Like their deep past. <laughs> As in, like, if they were reborn. Um, but that makes sense, too. Just just staring them down because they're Tavarin. But I guess we'll have to see. Well, she knows that they have an important role to play. Yeah. Uh, in the pattern. Shall we talk about our unexpected guests? 
Yes, because that was really weird. <laughs> it seems like they were kind of like released, right? It, it can't be that they were just hiding there. You know what I wonder? Uh, so uh, listeners were talking about the Forsaken. Uh, you know what I wonder? It's um, whether or not, um, gosh. So, you know, so Harry Potter, I know I have to, I have to bring that reference. You know, the Sorcerer's Stone, it's supposed to give you like everlasting life. But the thing is, you can't find it unless you have an intent to never use it. Um, I have a, I, I, I'm wondering if that's what the Eye of the World is kind of like, where you can't find the entrance to the Eye of the World unless you have good intentions and you don't intend to use it for something bad. Because it seems like the Forsaken, you know, they're, they're in the Green Man's, like, garden. They're near the Eye of the World, but it looked like they just didn't, they couldn't quite find where it was. Like, is that what you guys caught too? Or did I like kind of misinterpret that? Well, that's a, you know, I don't want to get too much into Harry Potter. That's a little bit of a misrepresentation of the Philosopher's Stone because it's not that, you know, nobody could find it unless they didn't want to use it. That was the trick that Dumbledore put on the mirror, not the stone itself. Um, I don't know. It's obvious that they couldn't do what they wanted to do uh they needed they needed um they needed somebody uh to help them with that but i do you think so can you describe to me what the forsaken are because that's what i was looking for but i couldn't really see it so the forsaken to the Edmonds Fielders would be basically the boogeyman came to life. But in actuality, what the Forsaken are, are they were the, think of them as like the generals of the Dark One's army. So they were the people that in the Age of Legends sided with the Dark One. Uh, specifically, they were the people who could use the power. So they were Aes Sedai who went over to the Dark One. Uh, whereas you had Luz Theron and the Hundred Companions, who were men that could, most of them men that could channel, that fought for the light. The Forsaken were the group of people who decided to fight for the Dark One. Okay. So think of them as like the most evil of evils. And they're still here, like they're still alive. So yeah, what happened is, when Luz Theron and his companions went and sealed the Dark One's prison. Back in that prologue, they talked about that in uh, the story that Tam told. So they went and sealed the prison. When they did, the Forsaken were trapped inside that prison with the Dark One. Okay. But some of them were trapped closer to the surface, and some... So think of the Dark One's prison as like a pit. And say, some of the Forsaken were like right at the top edge like right below the cliff where the pit starts. And some of them were way down in the pit. But the, the, the seal was over the top. So some of the Forsaken, these two particular, Aaron, sorry, I can never say his name right. It's Belthamel and... Uh, Agenor. Agenor, there we go. Yes. Uh, these two were the ones that were closest to the surface. And so even though they were trapped... And basically immortal in that prison, they weren't allowed to die. 
their bodies were still experiencing the effects of time. So they've been trapped for two, three thousand years. So their bodies have aged and withered uh, to the point where Balthamel is basically, he's covered his head in a leather carapace and Erangor says, Erangor, bleh, can't talk. Uh, basically says he no longer has use of his tongue because that has failed him as the wheel has grind hard on him. That's so disgusting. So basically, yeah. And uh, Justin, name, other one? I can't say it. Aganor. Aganor basically ha has almost the appearance of like a living mummy. Like his skin is like tight to his skull. It's almost like a leathery... Uh, they describe it as, like, dry parchment. Yeah. With little wisps of hair coming off his head. It's basically like they're alive and they're still powerful, but their bodies are, like, almost, like, ancient. I almost didn't think they uh, were human. Yeah. No, they're human. This is just what happens to a yeah. human if you get left out in the sun for 3,000 years. <laughs> so my question is, how are they in the oasis? Like, this can't possibly be where the prison is. So, no, they are here because they followed Matt. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, or, that's more right. Specifically, oh, my gosh. More specifically, they followed that little dagger. Oh, his. my gosh. Come on. Yeah. So, this is something that uh, I think we need to bring up real quick is Moraine's reason for bringing them here was because they're Taviran and she was afraid because everybody kept hearing about the Eye of the World and the Dark One told them that he wanted it in his in their dreams. So she brought them here for her purposes of finding the Eye to keep the Dark One from it. The real question is this. Uh, w did they do that of their own will? Or were they led here exactly. by the Elzaman? Did he plant those breadcrumbs? Did he talk about it in their dreams to get them to go to the Eye of the World so that his men could find it? Oh my mm. goodness, this reminds me of Half-Blood Prince. Like, I, I, I really, it's it's like they, uh, not, not Half-Blood Prince, but regardless. Oh man, it's like they just fell for it. it. It just hit me as you were telling that story. Like, oh, did he really like feed this information to the boys in the hopes that maybe it could get to Moraine and then she would bring the boys here? Well, you know, at the end of the day, the wheel turns, the pattern weaves. If this happens, then it means it's meant to happen, so... We just have to keep on going because there you go, man. So one thing I wanted to bring up was, uh, according to Agenor, that uh, he and Balthamel are not, or Balthamel are not the only Forsaken that have been set free. Uh, he also mentions uh, one by the name of Ishamael, who apparently has also been set free so there apparently is another forsaken somewhere out there uh, other than these two so <laughs> things are getting serious and it looks like all they need to do my my guess is what they need to do is just touch that that pure source of power 
oh, they seem so invincible too. It's so it's so odd because they're like they're they're like mummies. And yet the green man so was powerful. able to take care of Balthamel. In in in, in I, I put this in my notes in a pretty brutal fashion. By the way, um, that's like that's like the most heavy metal thing that a plant person has ever done. Now, I was going to say, you, you really wouldn't expect it because you see this green man and everything we've seen from him so far has been gentle and uh, he's been giving life to things and he just, just I mean, obliterates this, this thing. <laughs> I don't even know if you can call Balthamal a man anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> but... I mean, he just completely wipes the floor with him. Uh, you know, you got mushrooms bursting out of him and plants coming. <laughs> you know, I mean, he he pretty much is taken into the the landscape, and that's the end. It's like a aggressive recycling, <laughs> aggressive aggr- no more like aggressive composting. I, like I have that. an interesting <laughs> uh, point on this. Okay. Uh, so I think after looking at this several times, I think I realize what's happening here. And okay. it's a little more involved than what we first assume. So I think what the green man is doing here is basically the same thing we've seen him doing this entire time. He's cultivating. So think about this. The green man's abilities tend to be that he can bolster the, the normal path of nature. Like he can help things to grow. He can't make things grow out of nothing, but he can help things to grow. What I think has happened here is Balthamel, his body is so far gone that it is basically in a state of like suspended decay. And what the green man does here is take that and cultivate it. He causes the things that are already there presence in the fact that Balthamo is basically decaying while he's alive, and he speeds up the process. So he takes the stuff that's there, the spores, the fungus, the decay, he and causes them to accelerate to the point that they basically eat Balthamo from the outside end. Aggressive composting. Aggressive composting, yeah. guys. <laughs> 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 like, like, like mushrooms, like mu- mushrooms sprang out. <laughs> and yeah. he's already practically he's already practically like part of the earth now. I mean, beforehand he's they're dead. They're like the walking dead at this point. So, he just helped them yeah. along. Mm. Oh man, but this yeah. is really scary. It's like we we've really reached kind of a pinnacle here. Yeah. Um, and and un- unfortunately, we we leave these chapters on or you know, for this episode anyway, we we're leaving on a cliffhanger uh of yeah. you know, Moraine is in the middle of this battle with Agonor and it seems like it's not going well and chapter ends. So yeah, and we do actually have that little moment that Michelle was, was thinking about earlier in the book where Rand picked up a rock and it disintegrated. That actually happens right here in the last ah, page. Okay. He picks up a rock and throws it at, uh, Aaron Agonor. 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 Agonor throws it at him and it dissolves to dust before it ever gets to him. Okay. So that's what you were thinking about earlier, Michelle. 
So. Oh man, I, and I understand that desperation of just trying to do something. Um, right. Did you see Egwene just standing there trying her best to like to touch the power and, and help Moraine too? Um, yeah, it just seems futile right. at this point. I, I, oh, it definitely is. And Rand realizes it. Rand is like, "Stop it! You can't he's, fight him." He's like, "Guys, <laughs> we've got to go." Oh man, I've never seen. I never. You'd never think that something so withered and just seems so dead could be so powerful. And Moraine's trying, but I refuse to believe that she's going to die. Moraine, Lan, like like Lan though for a second, I I was concerned just because they professed their love for each other. So I was like, <laughs> he's at high risk right now of just passing away. But I, I have no doubt in my mind that Moraine's going to make it out of this situation. And 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 speaking of of Lan and, and Nynaeve, at the moment they are both out of action. They they've yeah. both been taken at out, least but... out of action. We know scared, we don't know um... really what's happened to them because Lan no. basically got uh you know <laughs> KO canned over a <laughs> like twenty feet into a rock. <laughs> I, say, I mean tossed around like a rag doll and slammed yeah. down. And then Nynaeve, I thought he was gonna pop her head like a grape. Because uh, he just kind yeah. of lifted well, it up he, in the air. He he probably would he, have if the green man hadn't intervened. Did you guys yeah. catch whether or not they were able to kind of drag Nynaeve and, and Lan away as they ran? No. They're oh, pretty man. much... They are where they fell. It's <laughs> just a part of the pattern at this point. This is a yeah. lot to happen towards the end of the book, so... <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at... Like, this, this is, is a lot. Which is exactly why we split this episode up, or th these chapters up into two episodes. Because um, we're, our, I think we're already past an hour, and uh, we've only talked about two chapters. So we will have to uh, get the rest of this story next week. Yeah. Um, so oh, man, it's a lot. Shall we uh, give some final thoughts? You guys ready for that? Sure. Oh man, I, All right. I Michelle, don't believe that Moraine. Michelle, Michelle, give us your final thoughts. I don't be believe Moraine is gone. This is just—I I don't even know what to say because we only have what three, three more chapters. Yeah. So I, what could possibly happen at this point? I, I have no idea. I'm just keeping my fingers crossed, and I hope to learn more about the Forsaken, and I really hope that. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> we have 14, what, 13 more books to go. So hmm. it's a lot. Yeah. So something that I thought about, I think a few weeks ago I mentioned um, something about how much more was still to come in this book. And I actually was misremembering the end of this book. There's not, actually not as much that happened that I thought was going to happen. Uh, I think there's some things that... Um, come in from the beginning of the next book that I thought happened at the end of this one. So I was a little bit mistaken it's easy on to that. Do. Yeah. Uh, it crosses over cause pretty, pretty easily sometimes. So I did want to mention that, that, you know, I, you know, a uh, little bit of a, of a flub up there, but, uh, uh well, there once is again, still a lot that's going to happen in these next three chapters. Yeah. But there was more <laughs> that I thought had to happen before the book ended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And, and and I was I was mistaken on that, but that's okay. Um, and you know, once again, even though I think uh, I did mention them earlier in the episode, no white cloaks in these chapters. Uh, 
but they're still the worst. Even oh, no lies there. even look even even worse than the Forsaken. I'm gonna say it because at worse least than the, the Forsaken. At least the Forsaken are honest about who they are. <laughs> oh, I think you're gonna regret saying that. Uh, <laughs> Especially about these two particular Forsaken. Uh, oh my goodness! Saying they're well, true to themselves. Right, right I now, take, I'm gonna say it. <laughs> I would take the Grand Inquisitor, War Captain of the Children of the Light himself, to be my best friend before I would pick either of these two. Hey, hey, he's I just saying know. they're they're true to themselves. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They they they're not trying to hide what they are. We, we okay. We wouldn't sit at either of their lunch tables, period. But I'm, just I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm not saying that they're good. I mean, they're they're definitely you know they're more evil than the white cloaks, but the white cloaks are a different kind of evil, hiding it as though they're servants of the light, and that is why white cloaks will always be the worst. So then I'll throw it to you, Stephen, for your final thoughts. <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh, so there's a lot of fun stuff. Uh, a lot of little breadcrumbs that get sprinkled in here. Um, and just there's a lot of stuff that I'm, it's fun for me, for y'all to finally get to it, to like finally meet some of the Forsaken and to see the Green Man and all of this. It's just a lot of fun for y'all to finally reach this point. Uh so now uh, I'm actually looking forward to after next week's episode being able to talk a little more freely about the stuff that happens in this book uh, <laughs> without having to worry about being so much spoilery. So I'm super excited about that. And I think that is going to bring us to a close for this week. So to all of our listeners, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for joining us once again. We're so glad that we're able to do this, but uh, you know, we would sit here and talk about these books by ourselves, but we're glad that we can share it with you, that you can read along with us, and we can enjoy this together. So, as as we said, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being a part of this with us. Uh, just a reminder that new episodes are released every Tuesday. Uh, you can subscribe on your uh, podcast platform of choice to be able to get new episodes when they are released. And we would also ask and invite, if you would, to leave us a rating and especially leave us a review if you're able to do that on uh, your podcast platform. Uh, that would go a long way in helping us to uh, rise up through the charts and get uh, in front of more potential listeners so that we can keep doing this and enjoy the things that we're doing and keep sharing it uh, with you uh, for quite some time to come. Uh, between now and next week, you can, uh, as always, interact with us on social media. We are on Twitter at Wind Beginning. We're on Instagram at The Wind Was a Beginning. Facebook and YouTube are The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. And you can email us at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. We hope you'll come back and join us again next week as we finally, for real this time, finish the Eye of the World as we discuss chapters 51 through 53. So until then, uh, we will see you next Tuesday, and uh, 
be looking forward to that time that we get to spend together on that occasion. So until then, we'll say so long for now, and we'll see you next time. Thank you all. See you. See you later, folks. Have a great night.